Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Mandy Gonzalez is a singer and actress born in Santa Clarita Valley, California. She's known for her leading roles on Broadway, including a role of Angelica in the Broadway production of Hamilton. She originated the role of Nina Rosario in the off-Broadway and Broadway productions of the musical In the Heights. In 2010 and 2011, she played Alphaba in the Broadway production of Wicked. Mandy's appeared in many television series, including The Good Wife, Third Watch, Quantico, and many others. She's been recorded for the original cast recording of In the Heights, the Disney animated movie Milan 2, and her own solo album, Fearless, which she released in 2017. I caught up with Mandy for a chat about music in early childhood, surprisingly finding her dad was a singer, her admiration of art, tackling breast cancer, her love of singing, and much more. Here's our conversation. Well, it's funny because I felt this way thinking about music, my life playing music back, right. you know, in bands and stuff. And then my life as like a dad of a, a guy, a young guy who's into music and sound. Yeah. When I started having to like do things for him, I had to figure out how it works. Like when I was young, it took me <laughs> right. so long to like really learn how to tune a guitar. And yeah. whenever a string would break, I, there was just another guy in the band who was really good at restringing guitars. So I would just let him do it all the time. So right. I was like really bad at it. And I right. just kind of had to learn, you know, on the fly. But if there's anything good about, you know, these kind of extenuating circumstances, they force you sometimes to pick up things you normally wouldn't have picked up, you know. Absolutely. So your son plays guitar? He does. Oh, that's awesome. And you yeah. played guitar. I, yeah. Uh, still try to <laughs> I still do but yeah yeah we we both play he's gonna Very be cool. so much better than me because I didn't start until I think junior high and he's been okay. playing since he's little so and he loves it I don't know he loves yeah. it but he's not there yet with the practicing and stuff you know yeah yeah and yes. I'm trying not to, the the guitar is the one thing I'm trying not to uh destroy you know, the spirit of rock yeah. and roll, you know, like practice, you got to practice every day. I feel like it's just going to crush. I want to leave him one nugget, yeah. <laughs> something that when he gets older, it's like his thing that, you know, but he also writes like electronic stuff on the computer, which is cool. Oh, so he's, awesome. in, he's into it. I tell you, the kids are, they're all teaching us stuff. Um, Maribel, she's just started getting into guitar. She's not taking lessons yet, but um, she has like one safe friend. <laughs> <laughs> during all of this because you yeah. know our whole school has been remote um since march yeah. um, i think you said that yours has too yeah um and even if they had started up again it, it just didn't feel safe to us and we're both artists so 
you know, it made sense for her to just stay home. Right. But her one safe friend, her dad is like a rock, uh, musician yeah. so he plays guitar and drums and he also collects guitars so he has like 30 something guitars in his basement in like the nice. dad cave or whatever you call that and um his <laughs> daughter uh she names all of the guitars so they all have names and so maribel's cool. been very interested in that aspect and then um he like teaches them chords and, and things like that so we're kind of like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the thing. I right, don't know. Right. But then also <laughs> trying not to put any pressure. Um, yeah. I think we do that with every <laughs> with everything. Right. We're like, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is what, you know. And then I just kind of have to go, well, it's okay if that's not it. And she just wants to have fun. Right. So, um, but anyway, that's been yeah. very, very cool. I love, though, how it's usually... Or not usually, but a lot of times it's like the doctor lawyer thing. Like the parents right. are like, you got to like work a job that will sustain. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, and then right. artists are like, it'd be cool if you want to be in a punk band. Right. I know. <laughs> I know. It, uh, my thing is like, I just want her to be happy. And whatever she does, I think I'm just going to be like, whoa, that's so cool. And yeah. even now with music, um, she's so much cooler than I ever was um, growing up. I mean, I think it's because before you know life was put on hold with the pandemic i was working all the time for right. like four years straight in hamilton and um even before that i was traveling a lot for concerts and and so she spent a lot of time with her dad yeah doug and um he's got a very eclectic taste in in music i mean mine is is as well but it's just different and so you know, she likes the Beastie Boys and Joan Jett and, you know, he just exposes her a little bit more to a more modern, I think, rock. And you mean you're trying I to would. say the dark side? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when your kid is like two and she knows dirty deeds, I think that yeah. it's like, like, it definitely wasn't me. <laughs> Isn't that made me think right away of School of Rock, which is like one of our favorite movies. It's just oh, my so, gosh. She loves that movie. It's so good. It's so I love good. Jack Black. Yeah, oh, yeah, but so rock and roll, like, I think it's good for kids, you know, to see that. Well, and and that's what they, you know, subversive music, I think, is what a lot of kids identify. Well, a lot of artists, you know. Yeah. It's like definitely. you you get into the counter, whatever, like whatever music makes you feel like this is my thing, you know. Right. No, it's true, and I think um, for me, growing up, I definitely had like many different sides to my musical education yeah you know that started really i guess it started with my my grandma because both my parents worked all the time and um maternal was, or fraternal side um on my maternal side okay so my abuelos like my abuelita and my abuelito they lived about five six hours away in fresno okay. like i grew up in southern california and um they it was a little bit different with them because we didn't see them all the time um, because right. they lived so far and they worked all the time they worked on a farm um they lived on a farm uh, my father grew up as um a farm worker you know and they would migrate and follow the crop yeah. and then they settled in fresno because um my abuelito became a foreman mm -hmm. at this one farm but growing up i always remember the difference really in going to my grandma's house, it was like taking the freeway and then going to 
my grandparents on my dad's side, it was uh, going up the grapevine. So you yeah, would yeah. see all the different fruit and everything growing. And it was like two lanes. <laughs> so right. it was very, very different. <laughs> um, but I, I think it was very cool. And, and that time in the car to either grandparent, <laughs> I listened to music. My, yeah. my brother and my sister would put on their headphones and I would listen to what my parents were listening to. Or my grandma who uh, watched us a lot because she didn't live too far. Uh, she was really into uh, musical theater. So, and also just big torch belters. So she was really into like Judy Garland and um, Edie Gourmet, Ethel Merman, like these big belters, yeah. you know? And, um, and so I fell in love with that sound and, and those songs that told stories that were, you know, part of uh, a play and I loved it. And so I was the only grandchild that like really sang those songs back with her. And, um, and because I think I was the youngest of three, that getting that attention from her really made me feel special. Yeah. You know, not that I didn't get attention from my parents, but, um, you know, she saw something in me and, um, and then it became like, you know, wanting to encourage that and play more songs and have me sing even more. And, and I think she was like, well, Mandy, you sing so loud, you know, she kind of got freaked out and she was like, we have to put her into lessons, yeah, you yeah. know, and, uh, and my parents, like, and my grandma, like nobody knew what to do with me. You know, I just had this big voice and I love to sing. And, you know, I had these siblings that were like, be quiet all the time. And so they didn't really know like what to do. And so we just kind of played music all the time. And, and I remember, so that was my grandma on my mom's side. And then my dad, um, Sundays was like my dad's only day off and he was tired <laughs> and my mom was tired. And so my mom would say, you know, Paul, you have to spend the day with the kids. Like, you know, I have to go run errands and do this. Like you have to be with the kids. And so my dad got this like laser disc player from a uh, swap meet. That was like something that we did on Sundays too, was go to the swap meet. Yeah. And, um, he got all these laser discs and uh, he loved Elvis. And so one of the laser discs he got was Elvis 68 comeback. And so my brother and I, cause my sister was six years older than me. Uh, my brother and I would sit with him every Sunday and watch 68 Elvis 68 comeback. And that was like a huge influence on me because I just fell in love with yeah. the sound of Elvis. <laughs> um, my brother liked the karate yeah. parts and I just liked him. I liked everything, his command of a stage and, you know, the rock sound. And even when, when I sing now, sometimes I'm like, hey, like sometimes my voice just goes into that place. And it's, it's because right, that's right. how I, I grew up and that's what I listened to with my dad. And, and that was the time that I felt like that connected me with my dad um, in a certain way, because my dad is a very quiet person. Yeah. And that was my way of kind of getting into his world, you know, which yeah. I so wanted to be a part of. And, um, it's the same thing with him. And, um, you know, I used to listen on those drives on the grapevine to go see my grandparents. I used to listen to Art LeBeau on K earth, uh, with my parents. And that was just like low rider oldies. 
you know, and uh, it was uh, just all this like very soulful kind of music. And I, I fell in love with that sound. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was like eight and my mom said that we were going to go up to see um, my grandparents uh, in Fresno. And I was like, well, actually it's Reedley, California. And I, I said, oh, okay. And usually we just went up for holidays or things like that. Cause it was far and they worked all the time. And, and this one time my mom said, well, we're going to go up because your dad's going to reunite with his band, the enchantments and your dad's going to sing. And I was like, what? Like, I Did had you have no, no idea. I had no idea that my father Total secret. Sing. Yeah. You know, and I was somebody who loved to sing and was always felt and always felt like such an outcast because of my desire to perform. Little did you know. I I know. And so I was so excited. And so we got into that yellow VW bus and we went up to to Reedley, California, and we we went to this small um, like a small community kind of theater and the new enchantments were playing on the stage. And I remember sitting on my mom's lap and, and my dad came up to us, um, as we're watching the new enchantments and he was like, uh, Robin, um, you know, Tito, our drummer, he got stage fright. So he went out the bathroom window. So, uh, we're not going to perform, like it's not going to happen. And I remember just crying and being devastated, like, oh my gosh, like this is my one chance to see him and it's not going to happen. And then my mom was just like, Paul, we came all the way here. Like you got to figure it out. And so my dad was like, okay, Robin, I'll figure it out. So we ended up going next door to this, the drummer Val's house and it was real dark. And I remember sitting on, uh, this like lazy boy chair, this corduroy brown lazy boy chair. And I remember hearing this music from the back and I started to follow it, you know, and I started to hear this voice and it kind of sounded like Elvis, you know, yeah. but like rockier. Right. And uh, he was singing the song, the Richie Valen song, come on, let's go, let's go, let's. And I looked up and it was my dad. And I was just like, oh my God. Like, it was just like Pandora's box just opened. And I was like, this is where I come from. And all of a sudden I felt this like huge connection. I don't know, like it just changed everything for me. And I no longer felt like, I felt like, man, my dad must be, he must be really psyched that I'm singing, Right. you know, like there was just something that happened when I was young. And then that after that happened, I started to, I don't know, not that my dad all of a sudden started to sing with me and we became this like duet team like it never happened you know my father when he returned from vietnam um i guess he vowed that he didn't want to sing anymore i don't know what happened there but um it changed everything for him and um and so but he just did different things like he bought me a singing machine um he got me a microphone and then we would just go places and i would just sing and my dad would be like my sound guy (laughs) and like run the my techie you know like run the the stuff like i remember going to venice beach um and singing on the boardwalk you know just randomly for tips no fear though uh, were you like from a young kid just you had no stage fright or no worries no no fear i was just like do you think you were so connected with that experience of singing to your family and that kind of made it almost like a more direct expression you know what i mean like because i was thinking about that you it's so serendipitous in a way that your parallel between you know the narrative 
music that you're driven towards it's that big like you were saying that's belting singing and singing those stories and right. then the direct relationship that music seems to have with your you know your relationship with your parents and your identity and your family because a lot of people don't necessarily have that in their interest like if i think about painting Mm -hmm. My parents didn't really, I mean, my mom colored coloring books once in a while, but that was it. Right, you know what I mean? It was right. not like there wasn't that experience where I was relating that creative expression with my family directly, so, but, but I love it. And, but it didn't have that connection, you know, but it yeah. seems like yours was really tied to the narrative of your family life. And then the, the love for that narrative of the stories of the songs, I, I guess is, is, I don't know I if that happens all the time. I definitely think it was because, you know, that time when I was a kid and I found out that my dad could sing, it was like a lot of um, stories were revealed to me, like other people in my family on my dad's side could sing. And and then, you know, it was listening also to um, boleros with uh, my abuelos and, and hearing those songs in Spanish. And, and those are also very similar yeah. to these big torch ballads about losing love or finding love and you know this way of expressing yourself so i definitely felt a connection and i still do i feel a big connection to my family whenever i sing and i think that it's uh as i've gotten older it's become even more i've become even more connected spiritually right. i think to to that and to my ancestors because i think i'm just part of that I'm just part of the journey yeah you know that they totally. took and and in my in my way it went to um it went in a totally different direction you know it was like a hybrid of both um cultures and then i ended up on broadway it's like yeah. i don't know <laughs> you know which is so random but i think it was because and also my my grandma on my mom's side my grandma marie um, whenever there was a family gathering, everybody sang like she was the youngest of six children and uh, her family immigrated from Poland and they all came, you know, they all yeah. lived together. And I think that's how it was and how I see families now changing in that way where people are staying and growing up together in the same house. Like that's just what it was. And so everybody played an instrument and everybody could sing. And so you know, my grandma had a player piano and whenever she had a, a party or anything, everybody would sing. Right. And right. it was like, Mandy, sing, sing and and sing and be part of it, be part of this celebration. Um, my siblings did not participate in that <laughs> or my cousins, but me, I loved it. Yeah. I just I felt like I was the one that for whatever reason got connected to that. And and because I fell in love with that kind of music, it was like, well, Broadway, like that's where I'm going to go. Well, it's the pinnacle, York. right? The yeah. pinnacle of song and story and performance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it was such a mystery to me. Yeah. And I was so, I think I was so afraid uh, to leave, you know, because I'm very close to my family, as you can tell. Right. And, um, and everybody lived close to one another. And so I, when I, when it was time to go to college, you know, I really wanted to go to New York, but I was scared to, to leave. And so I stayed and I, I went to uh, CalArts, which was in my hometown yeah, because it was a good theater program. And I thought, well, this way I can live with my parents. It won't be too expensive. And really I was afraid. I was yeah. afraid to jump. 
And uh, I lucked out because that's where I met my husband who was getting his degree in art. And that opened a whole different world to me. But um, I ended up getting an audition, uh, going to an open call because, you know, when you grow up in LA, you get exposed to a lot of different things and me taking lessons and, you know, going to sing on boardwalks and sing in malls and all those kind of things. Like I started to put together my own shows and I put together my own show when I was like 15. I think about like the guts I had, you know, I'm like, I'm going to sing at the Cinegrill at the Roosevelt hotel. And so I had to get a musical director and my musical director was this guy, Bill Schneider, who um, was also would also do all the vocal arrangements for Bette Midler for her backup singers. And so he told me when I was about 18 and I started at CalArts, he told me that there was going to be an open call for uh, new backup singers for Bette Midler that are called Harlettes. And would I like to go to the open call, which means, would you like to go stand in line? Right. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> a long line, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. I was like, well, yeah, yeah, like, why not? I'll just go do that. And I, I ended up getting that job and then right. I had to go on tour and uh and leave my parents and i went on tour for about four months and um it was like a dream you know i i had to sing backup for like one of my idols and uh and i learned so much um but it took me away and it took me to new york uh we played this area but we stayed um at the plaza hotel when sure. when it was still a hotel right and uh and i just I just knew this is where I belonged. And so I saved my money from that tour and I used that money and I, I moved to Brooklyn. So I never stayed at the Plaza Hotel again, um, but I moved to Brooklyn. <laughs> I, I moved to Williamsburg and I was like, this is where I'm going to make my mark. And yeah. Doug came with me. And um, what year was, was that so, roughly? That was two, the year 2000. 2000, yeah. So I did uh, Bet's Millennium Tour. Millennium Tour? And uh, yeah, and it ended in Las Vegas for the millennium. Yeah. And then um, and then I went home and I just started planning on how I was going to leave. And it was like, OK, well, I'm not going to go back to school. So I left school after my freshman year and I decided that I was going to move to New York and just not just see what happened. I was like determined. I just said, OK, in six months, I'm going to be on Broadway. Yeah. You set the goal. <laughs> I set the goal and I've always been super driven, yeah. you know, not just for success, but just to achieve whatever it was I thought I needed to achieve. It would know? be weird if you weren't driven and you yeah. accomplished what you did. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I know, but it's so weird to be, I'm not, it's so weird, but it's just like, that's all I knew. And I think I came from a very hardworking family, you know, yeah. my father, um, growing up, my father worked at a factory, uh, Thatcher glass where they made glass bottles and things like that. Um, all through growing up. And then at night he would work, um, he would work cleaning different like restaurants in our town. And I remember he cleaned this one place called Chi Chi's, uh, restaurant and they made, um, pizza and so he would bring home like whatever pizza people didn't eat that night and like that's like the dinner that we would have the next day and and my mom worked for the school district and she worked full time and and then we would get home from school and she would be there because she worked for the school district so um she got off at 
two or whatever, and then pick us up from school. And, and then she would make our dinner and do all that kind of stuff. So my parents worked extremely hard. Yeah. And then I had grandparents who worked in the fields, um, picking oranges, grapes, um, you know, they had a walnut tree in the front that they would pick. And then as they got older and they no longer did that, they still lived on that farm. Only the person that owned the farm only gave them the the little house that they had because they had to take care of um, mentally uh, challenged adults um, when my grandparents got older and they would do everything for them, like make their breakfast, lunch, dinner, bathe them, clothe them, um, make sure that they went out for their outings. So I came from like an incredibly hardworking family. So when I got here, it was like, I didn't waste any time. You know, I got, I had two jobs when I got here. I worked at Dean and DeLuca bagging groceries for people. Yeah. In Soho. (laughs) Yes. I worked there and I worked in the basement and then I worked and I did coat check and, uh, host a scene at night, um, at these different, this one restaurant rain, but these different restaurants in New York. And then I auditioned during the the day, yeah. you know, and I went to open uh, again, open calls because I didn't have an agent. Right. And um, I had my like they give you 16 bars, 16 to 32 bars that you can sing of any song um, for these auditions. So you have to wait in line and then you get, you know, these 10 seconds to sing. Yeah. But I was like, OK, well, I got to sing like the thing that I love the most. So my two go to songs were Rock Steady um by aretha franklin and um acid queen from tommy because you know one was a theater song right one was a rock and roll song you diversified (laughs) exactly they both just kind of did the same thing and i you know i went to this open call for this show called eli's coming um based on the music of laura nero which Mm -hmm. i didn't know a lot of her stuff um at that time but I knew like, will you marry me, Bill? Like I knew that song. And yeah. I knew um, Eli's Coming because my dad was a huge fan of Three Dog Night. And so I knew a lot of those songs. Like she wrote a lot of songs for them. And I didn't yeah. know that at the time. But in, I ended up booking that job. And that really changed my life and started my journey here in New York. You know, I thought I'd made it. You know, I was yeah. making like 200 bucks a week. And um you know, it's just crazy, man. I I was making 200 bucks a week and I was doing this show at the Vineyard Theater with another unknown actress, Anika Nani Rose, mm-hmm. um, Judy Kuhn, who was well known, a jazz musician, Ronell Bay. Uh, and it was directed by Diane Paulus, who's now, um, you know, world renowned. And uh, and it just started my career. But it was all in this music that was rooted in who I was, you know, um, Laura Nero's stuff is just so, so soulful and um, so storytelling. And so it was just like, I got to live both uh, the best of both worlds. And um, and so I, I still look back on that show and think, man, that was one of the best things I ever did. Yeah, I'd imagine that's kind of rare too for for people who are creative, yet they're sort of engaging with material that they're not necessarily writing whether it's acting or, you know, or singing like songs that are written to find your own voice in that, I think is a real, um, I would imagine it's not that common. Like it's a real sort of great gift because a lot of times I think you, 
you know, like thinking of like acting, you have to meld into this role or find a way to connect to that character. And sometimes I'm sure it's not very easy to do that, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think that with those, with those songs um, that are popular because of a writer uh, in pop music or in any music, I, I don't know exactly what category Laura Nero is in, but it is interesting because it's her perspective and she really wrote about what she was how she was feeling in those days. You know, I'm learning a lot about uh, Dolly Parton um, through the podcast that's Dolly's America recently. And and I mm -hmm. didn't realize that so many of her songs are from another, a different perspective, but I, you know, from a, another, she becomes these characters and, and that's really so much of her songwriting is so many of her um, earlier songs are based in that. And I, I didn't know that, but I, I feel like Laura, you know, she started so young. She started songwriting. I think she wrote Wedding Bell Blues when she was like 16. So, so many of those songs are rooted in what was happening for her, like how yeah. she was feeling. Like she wrote, and when I die, when I, I think around, maybe when she was eight, like 18. And so these songs that I was able to sing um, that they they chose for my character, my character's through line, um, were all these songs about being young and wanting to get out and having all this angst and, you know, feeling like, I don't know how you feel when you're young, like, you know, yeah. everything right, right, and nothing at the same time. And so I felt for me, I was able to bring myself so much to that character, yeah. you know, because I was right with who that person was, you know, right. being so young, you know, like 20 years old and and you know new in new york and wanting to conquer the world it was like uh, there was just no you know um it wasn't that hard yeah you know yeah all i definitely. had to do was sing <laughs> so that was really fun <laughs> <laughs> now do you feel a certain i've been thinking about this a lot lately and, and listening to mm -hmm. other people talking about the subject do you feel like a, a bit nostalgic for those times of when you're just breaking in because i feel like in being creative, we we tend to want to once you sort of establish yourself or or to, you know, when you're in it for a while, you kind of yeah. get nostalgic for those moments when you're just starting out and you've got that and there's sort of like a fire energy about it to where it's that motivation, that desire for accomplishment, and a little bit of the wonder of not knowing what's going to happen or knowing, like, I would imagine, like, if you come in and say, you know, I, I really want to just hit Broadway. Like I want to get involved and, and be in that scene and, and make, yeah. you know, creative work on Broadway that there's so much mystique there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, but I'm sure yeah. as you just like in the art world, like once you're in there for a while, you kind of get it and you're like, okay, I know how this works. And you yeah, kind of like, like, you know, you get a little nostalgic for those early days of wonder. You know, and New York is like that, too, because when I first came to New York, it was like it felt so huge and intimidating, yeah. but there was like electricity in that. Absolutely. I think that um, that's the thing about being a creative person is that you it's very easy to lose that sense of wonder, that sense yeah. of awe and just become part of the business, you know, because it's show business. And yeah. that's one thing that 
is very easy to kind of just go, okay, it's a business and this is what I'm going to do and, and all that. And, and I think it's so easy to lose the, the creative part of it and that part of your soul that thrives on that. And so for me, it's been really important to set new goals all the time for yeah. myself. So, you know, I just finished writing my first novel um, called Fearless and it's based on um, a story that I would have wanted to see growing up. Um, it's based on a young girl from Reedley, California, who um, has a dream and uh, makes it to Broadway and about her journey and the friends that she makes along the way. And I think after, I think I got into a place, um, I think you can't help it, but a place where it did become so much a about business for me with um, with performing. I think that that happened a lot once I had my first big Broadway show um, where I was the lead in, yeah. you know, and it was based on um, Fearless, what was it? Fearless Vampire Killers, uh, Roman Polanski's uh, movie. And I played the role of the Sharon Tate role in this new musical called Dance of the Vampires starring opposite Michael Crawford. It was supposed to be this huge hit. You know, I remember when I got the job and I was in my Brooklyn apartment, I dropped my knees and I was like, I made it. Like, <laughs> like it's all worth it. Like just so dramatic, you know? Yeah. And um, because I really felt that way, I felt like, gosh, this is it. Like I set this goal and now here I am. And, you know, it just, it made me feel like it was all, all of it is just where I'm supposed to be. And then that show opened and it was one of the biggest flops um, in New York ever. Yeah. You know, it got terrible reviews. It um, was not the vehicle that I thought it was going to be. Right. And I think it was like a snap, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. wait a minute. Like this Reality is, check. this is, yeah. Like this is business. Yeah. Um, what does this mean? And I remember so many people would come up to me and, and be like, oh, it's so sad that this is your first experience. And, <laughs> you know, oh, what are you going to do? And yeah. I remember a lot of people after that show left the business. Oh, really? You know, was they that, were like, was that yeah. big of a clunker? Yeah. Like, all right, I'm oh, out. It was, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, they were like, we, I can't deal with this kind oh, of man. That's rough. rejection. You know, like you used to go on the stage after the reviews come out and people would boo you know, at really? the end. Yeah. And it was the beginning of all the chat rooms and, and everything like that. And the Broadway community, how people, you know, they love to tear you down. And yeah, yeah. in that show, it was like, they, people just went to town. And so I think it kind of put, it definitely put something um, on me in a way where I, I still wanted to succeed, but I was so afraid to fail. Yeah. But that fear of failure, I never wanted that to overtake. Um, I don't know. It never overtook my fire. You right. know, I was yeah. really lucky that I I had that. You know, I had that like, well, you know, it's not going to stop me from like doing what I want to do. And and so and then I went and I did another show. My next Broadway show was this show, Lennon, uh, based on the life and career of John Lennon. And yeah. it's, it's crazy. Cause yesterday was the anniversary of his death. Yeah. And my daughter just read a book about the Beatles and, and we talked about it. And, uh, you know, my sister was a huge John Lennon fan, um, of his later stuff. So yeah. 
John Lennon in the Plastic Ono Band. So I listened to a lot of that, a lot of his music growing up. You know, right. that was a whole other part of my education was my sister yeah. because she was older and she liked The Cure and Depeche Mode and and all these other bands that yeah. then I was exposed to, but I had to be exposed to on the side and just right, kind of be right. like, yeah, I like it, you know, because yeah, yeah. she was like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> she was way too cool for me. And, uh, but I, I did enjoy that kind of music. And, uh, but anyway, so then Lennon was a huge bomb. <laughs> That was another failure. So it was it two strikes? Were you feeling two strikes? I got to knock one out of the park. Exactly. And then, um, and so it became this thing of, I felt like I started to be more aware of what, and think about what other people were thinking about me, which is such a danger, I think. And, um, and it's just human nature as well as an artist. I I think it's so hard to, what are people going to think about me? And, what if I do another show and it doesn't succeed? Like, what is that going to mean? And, and, you know, it, it really, um, I think it really can paralyze you or you have to, you have to find that continue to find that fire within you to keep going, you know, especially when you're young, that kind oh of my gosh. input as you get older, you're kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> oh, totally. Just like, like now it's whatever. like, well, I like it. So yeah, yeah. hopefully, you know, other people will like it. Um, exactly. It's like with this writing, you know, that being a new part of my journey, it's like, well, I really like it. Right. And I feel very proud of it. And I hope other people like it. But if they don't, it's still going to be out there. And I still really like it. So yeah. it just, I become more um, grounded in who I am as a person. But when you're in your early 20s, it's Not just easy. kind of yeah, like, yeah. oh, please, like, you know, all these things that are supposed to, everybody says, you know, propel you. When yeah. I did the the Dance of the Vampires musical, it was written by Jim Steinman, who wrote all the music for Meatloaf. And I remember they were like, well, Jim wants to do an album with you. And um, so I went and I met with Jim and his manager and, and they were like, yeah, we want to do this new album with you. And this is what it's going to be. And I was just like, and now I'm going to be like a rock star too. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not <laughs> right, just going right. to do this. And then everything just imploded. It that never happened. You know, Jim got rid of that manager. It was like, you know, all of these things happened because of this failure in a way. Right. But without that failure, I never would have built, um, I guess my own sense of self, you know? Yeah, definitely. Because I had to, you know, I was very lucky because I had a partner who was an artist you know, and who was also going through his own journey, you know, with yeah. that and, you know, having a show at White Columns and, you know, building or like making these paintings and hopefully people were going to see them, but who knows, right. you know? Yeah. And so that was like a big influence for me as well. Um, and also being around friends uh, that were artists and painters because they were creating their own work. Yeah. And sometimes it would be a success and sometimes it wouldn't. And so I didn't feel alone in, in my journey, you know, ever. And with Doug, I remember he is such a um, strong person or else he says a lot of things that can be very strong, but he was like, well, is this what you want to do? I remember sitting down with him and and I was like, well, yeah, this is what I want to do. And so I had to continue to fight. You know, yeah. because I had somebody that was asking those questions. Well, if it's so hurtful, 
why are you doing it? You know? Yeah. And I, I just was like, he just got to the root of it. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. And I, I'm so happy I stayed because after right during Lennon, when it didn't do well and I was still performing, I got a call that said, um, there's a new show written by Latinos and, um, starring Latinos and they want you to come in and read for the director and the writer in the basement of the drama bookshop. <laughs> I think it's on 40th or 41st street. And I knew what the drama bookshop was cause that's where everybody goes for scripts and things yeah. like that. And, uh, but I didn't know they had a basement and it, I went to that basement. Uh, and you know, I did, I did stuff a lot like taking chances when I was a kid. Um, when I was a teenager, I would look in the LA weekly and I would audition for garage bands. Yeah. Um, but I'd always take my dad with me to like those meetings, but now I didn't have my dad, you know? So I had to like go by myself and, and I did, I played a lot of blues clubs and I played with a lot of garage bands around LA, like growing up and my dad would just always be there with me. But this time it was like, you gotta go alone. And I was like, okay. And I went and I met Lin-Manuel Miranda and Tommy Kale. And, um, and I started to sing the music for In the Heights and that changed everything for me in another yeah, way, yeah. you know, that Eli's coming did because all of a sudden I was in a show, um, with people who were like me, you know, they looked right. like me. Yeah, we yeah. all came from, you know, a different part of, uh, Latin cultures, but we all came from that culture. Yeah. And so I no longer felt like I was the only one in a cast that was, that had a Latin last name right. that grew up with a family like I grew up with. And, and that was the biggest gift uh, for me because uh, the people in that cast uh, became my family here in New York, right? you know, and still are. Uh, but that show um, changed things for me because it was like, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> after those two shows, you know, I was so afraid. And I was, I remember when in the Heights opened, I was like, Doug, what did they say? Like in the reviews, what is it bad? You know, I was so ready for, you know, and then he was like, no, it's all really good. And, and so I was lucky because I got to have that experience and right. with people that I loved and we all were working towards the same thing. And Again, I was lucky to play this character, Nino Rosario, who was so much of who I was wanting yeah. to succeed and not wanting to fail because of not just herself, but because of her family and what would that mean for everybody. And so it really allowed me to express myself and all of those feelings that I was feeling in my early 20s, you know, on stage. Yeah. Do, and, you th um, do you yeah. think that the fact that it did resonate with you personally? maybe I'm imagining more so than your first couple roles that you had that do you feel like you brought a different energy to it or there was something it resonated differently because it was more tied to your experience in a way? Um, I think a little bit of both, you know, um, the first show with, you know, I did Aida before Dance of the Vampires and all of those shows were very much like, okay, now I'm on Broadway. I just want to prove myself. Yeah. You know, I had already done that. I had already proven that I could do it. I had already shown myself that I could do eight shows a week. I could do it vocally. I could do all of these things. But Nina allowed me to 
create a much deeper character than those other characters were. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, because uh, I really had to dig, not I didn't have to dig too deep, but I had to be honest on stage. It was no longer like, well, I hope the show, it, so much of the shows before were, well, I hope they make it and I hope, you know, all of these other things tied to it. I, I didn't, I wasn't distracted within the heights. In the yeah. other shows, I felt a little distracted, you know, and maybe that's just why they didn't work. I, I, not that the shows didn't work because of that, but maybe that's why I didn't feel like, I don't know, it was a different kind of, a different kind of energy. But with Dance of Vampires, I was just like, this is the best thing ever. And I'm just gonna, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was <laughs> like, I'm just gonna soar, you know, because yeah. I was singing this music that I loved. Um, but I think within the Heights, it was just, it was no longer about me. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, it was yeah. about the work. And I want this to work because I care so much about everybody involved in this process. And I think that's what changed for yeah. me, that it wasn't it, just about me. Right. Did it immediately sort of like take off or you felt that connection and in, in the response did all that happen suddenly or did it take some no, time? No, it took time. You know, we, um, I was with that during the reading and then the workshop and then um, we did off Broadway and we did off Broadway at this theater that's no longer there called 37 Arts. Um, and Barishnikov has his like dance company on the top floor, but it was small, like yeah. black box theater. And, um, and we did it there and it was like, okay, people are coming and oh, people are coming back and more people are coming. So it was a gradual, a gradual thing. It was in no way like it was uh, I for Hamilton. Overnight. Hamilton, when it first opened, you know, you couldn't get a seat like right, right. away yeah. um, because there was just this buzz and excitement within the Heights, we had to create that whatever yeah. it was, we had to get people into to the theater, right, right. you know? Um, and, but once it started to happen, it was like, oh, I remember we had a student matinee and I'd never done that in any other show that I'd been in. Um, and the whole theater was filled with students um, that came for free. And it was amazing because when you have students in the audience, they don't lie, you know, they're <laughs> yeah. very, um, you know, vocal about how they feel about a yeah. show. And so at the end, they were just cheering. And then, you know, I felt like, man, this is so, this is unlike anything I've ever done, you know, but, yeah. you know, it was so many different people coming to see that show, young people, um, my grandparents, uh, their, you know, their parents, uh, the young people's parents. And so I, that's when I thought like, this can go, this is going to go somewhere. But yeah. from off Broadway, we went to Broadway. And once we went to Broadway, you know, word of mouth had happened, but we still had to keep, you know, doing those little things like to promote, to promote the show. I remember doing a lot of stuff with Chris Jackson, um, just going around to let people know that we were there. Yeah. But it ended up doing really well. It did. It did. It, it started the career of careers of a lot of people, yeah. you know, um, and the show, you know, was such a beautiful um, vehicle uh, for Lynn. Right. You know, and it started his 
I mean, his journey had already started, but it definitely started uh, his journey, uh, I guess, as a writer and people really taking him seriously. Yeah. I remember seeing him at that first audition, uh, not audition, but um, the first read through and and he, he started doing his part as Usnavi. And I thought, like, who's this guy? Like, he's got <laughs> such this light around him. And I don't think I've met anybody like him since that. You know, yeah, he seems like an outlier in a lot of senses. It just, you know, yeah, it's just different, like the way that writing and then also like his voice is just like not what, you know, it's like a different voice. It's just so unique. It, seems. it is. It is. And um, all the reasons I think that people it, it, it's also that same thing that you were talking about, like this energy, yeah. you know, me feeling that energy of my ancestors. And when I sing, there is just this energy that's around him that it's like this is where he was meant to go you right. know what i mean yeah and to see that uh has been such a such a beautiful thing to, yeah. for all of the creative team i i think that um like i said that those guys have become like family to me and and to see them thrive has been such a a joy you know yeah definitely because they've thrived in a way that hasn't um where they continue to um challenge themselves it hasn't yeah. been just because well now we're gonna get into the business of it like no they've been pushing the envelope on so many things you know definitely yeah so that relationship translated obviously from in the heights to hamilton which i'm sure was a much when you came into it how how long into it did you come in i came into it after it had been in um i guess i don't know if renee i i replaced renee elise goldsberry yeah um who won the tony for it and right. i think she was in it for a year on broadway i'm not sure because it was such a whirlwind right. their experience as i've heard you know um i remember doug and i saw it off broadway i cried through the, probably the entire thing because i was so proud of them yeah. and um and I remember going to see them backstage and just be like, it was so beautiful and I'm so proud of you. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, it was packed. Yeah, It was packed and everybody knew that this was different and it was gonna make such a impact on so many people. And so I don't know how long it was, but I remember they went straight from off Broadway to Broadway yeah. and then it just exploded, you know? Right. And so I came in in September of 2016 and I think uh, the Tonys were that June. So yeah. I came in pretty soon after, you know, they had won, I think the Tonys and all that. I'm, I hope my dates are right. Please, I apologize if you're not. Look, I can't remember um, last week, so you're doing great. I know, <laughs> it's true <laughs> these days. Um, but yeah, so I came into it, you know, it was one of those crazy things that never happened to actors where you get a call from the director to ask you if you wanna come and be in this hit musical. <laughs> Yeah. And replace a, a friend. And Tommy. What's Gale, that like, though? I mean, is that oh, just. Oh, it was amazing. And at that time, you know, I hadn't been on Broadway since I had, um, since we had our daughter. Yeah. You know, and that's a whole different experience, you know, um, having a child when you're in this business, you know, because for us, we were, we were just so blessed. Um, I was so at the time that Maribel, um, we talked about having a child, you know, I was so ready. And um, I had just finished a two year run of In the Heights. 
And then I went straight into a year run of uh, Alphaba and Wicked. And I remember after that, just feeling like, okay, now's the time. Like yeah. we have a little bit of time and then it just happened really fast. And, um, and then during that year, I, I was just so ready for a break. And yeah. so I took that time to really just be with her. And, um, I'm so happy that I did, that I didn't get back onto the hamster wheel right away. Yeah, right, right. You know, yeah. I, I felt very lucky that, you know, I've saved some money and that we were able to do that. Yeah. And Doug um, was was working hard. And, and I remember after that being ready to go back and going into auditions and people being like, oh, yeah, like, oh how old is your daughter now are you going to be able to do this and you know being on this other side of now i'm a mom and um you know not having money for a sitter for auditions and having to bring my kid and right. you know um having to do that struggle you know but i did it and the thing that was so great about it and the rejection of trying to get back into back on the hamster wheel i guess is that um, I started to have to create my own opportunities so that I could perform, so that I could make a living. And so I started to perform concerts and create my own concerts at different clubs around New York. And it started to pay off. I, I started to love it. And at that same time, I started to write. I started to write um, children's stories. And um, and so all of a sudden, I this other part of my creative side started to unfold. And I'm so happy it did because by the time Maribel was four, when uh, I got the call from Tommy Kale, like I felt like, okay, now I'm ready. Like I've yeah. done all this other stuff and now I'm ready to kind of go back into the rhythm of eight shows a week and not seeing my family every night. And, you know, and really dedicating myself to this show because I, I felt like I had, it, there was a reason like it happened at that time, you know, of my life. And, um, and then when it started, it was just, you know, um, it, it's like one of those things you just grab on and you just go along for the ride. You know, we had so many things that were happening in our country politically and um, so many things um, happened just within that theater. You know, we had that night where, uh, Michael Pence came into the theater and oh, yeah. people booed and some people cheered and then our cast, uh, the company made a statement and then it was just blown out of proportion and all of a sudden I was getting like hate mail. Um, and that was crazy, but you know, um, it just felt like the show was so much a part of what was happening in the country and that felt really exciting and i felt because of where i was in my life i was able to be somebody um for the the younger people in that cast to look to to yeah. um depend on yeah. and uh but i i really felt like i was part of part of it for people right. you know that were going through so much um in, and, and even and, now you know um being away from it for the past, I guess it's been nine, 10 months. I don't even know. Yeah. Um, but when Broadway was put on pause, um, it still feels like it's this thing that brings so many people together, you know? Yeah. 
no matter what they feel. Yeah. But Man, I can but no longer um, just pretend like, uh, well, not pretend, but all of a sudden people started to ask you, well, how do you feel about these things? And, you know, all of a sudden it was, I had to use my voice, you know, for more than just singing. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, I don't, from the outsider's perspective, I mean, what a grind that is. How do you do that? <laughs> that schedule, I you know, know, it's funny because, you know, as like a lot of, you know, a lot of creative people who love what they do, you know, studio mm -hmm. time is great. And like making what you're making is, is great, but that is, that schedule is just seems grueling. I, I, yeah. and, and then, you know, when the pandemic hit and everything's on pause, was, was there any part of that was like, oh my God, I could sit on the couch for a second. Cause you must Abs be exhausted in that schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think, uh, there's something I thrive on of having that kind of schedule. Yeah, yeah, um, the definitely. Challenge Adrenaline. Of H, yeah, the challenge of eight shows a week. Um, yeah, having that, knowing that there's people in the audience that have never seen the show and want to yeah. take that journey every night. It um, And during the two matinees we do a week, it's thrilling. But, you know, that time in my life, you know, last year I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And that was the first time I think in my life that I had to take a step back yeah. and be like, okay. Um, it was a big wake up call for me of, I need to take some self time for self care because yeah. I wasn't even going to go to that appointment because I just didn't have time right, I have right. time, you know? And, um, and I, I'm so lucky that, um, my husband was like, you need to go for these appointments. You need to start taking care of yourself and, and these things because it really changed this is the next course in my life, right? you know? So I was going through, um, so I had surgery in 2019 and then I started uh, chemotherapy in January of 2020. So when the pandemic hit, I was trying my hardest to continue to live the life that I was living before I had cancer. Right. Yeah. And I just couldn't do it, you know? Yeah, totally. And it was so hard for me, somebody who is so hard on themselves and an incredibly hard worker and thrives on achievement, um, as so many people in our country do. Um, it was so hard for me to say, you know what? I need a break. And right. so when the pandemic hit um, and on March, I think it was March 11th, they said, we're closing the show. Yeah, It was the most needed break I think I could have ever needed in my life because I just had to focus on me, uh, my family, but Doug was, you know, 100% taking care of our daughter. Yeah. Um, but I had to now navigate how I was going to get chemotherapy treatment, radiation through this pandemic. Like, how was I going to do this? And how would I have done that and continue to do it with eight shows a week? I just don't know, you know? And so yeah. I feel like in so many ways I was, um, there was something that, um, you know, the world allowed me to stop right? and learn the lessons that I needed to learn. And I'm so grateful for it. Um, I'm so grateful that I made it through. And, uh, and now I think, um, it's changed this, this course of my life where 
I've taken this time to, to become an advocate for um, self-care, for um, breast cancer, for breast cancer with uh, women of color, how they are um, so underrepresented in research. And, um, and so I have started to use my voice um, for that platform. Yeah, which is amazing. Um, you know, and having, you know, my mother-in-law, you know, beat breast cancer not too, too long ago. And it, it, you just, I think it's, it's in people's consciousness, they, you know, but then when it hits you and it hits so many people directly because it's so pervasive, you know, that yeah. you learn so much more about, you know, just the, the, the magnitude of it, life. <laughs> yeah. And, and how it can and taking change that in an time. instant. Yeah. Yeah. And what you, know? you value, you know, and, and yeah. you, it, it sort of re, I, I feel like it's, it's just a recalibration, you know what I mean? And you, and you start to really value and think about things completely differently. So. Absolutely. And I think that it makes you um, in that way say, is this worth it? Yeah. You know, which is something I didn't do before. Um, and I have a hard time doing even now, you know, is it worth it? Is it worth um, the, my time, you know, and knowing that you are valuable, that your time is valuable. It is okay to, you know, um, not do everything, yeah. you know, because yeah, I just, I just couldn't. And, um, and now being at this other place where I'm past my treatment, but now I'm on a new, you know, regimen of medicine I have to take and, and things like that, you know, making sure that I take that time for myself and, you know, stay up on my health and um, go to my doctor's appointments and, and all those things. Like I have to make that a priority, yeah. you know, but it's hard. It was hard going through that and, and living so far from my family, you know, and then going through a um, pandemic where you, you don't get to see that support network, you know, right. that was really, really hard. Yeah. Um, but I think like, we did it. I look at cancer as like a we disease because it affects your family too. And my husband and I, um, we, we did it, you yeah. know, we went through it together and, um, in the most crazy of circumstances. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's <laughs> um, like unprecedented circumstances. Yeah. Think, but know. his, um, his strength really held our family together, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's, what's so important. I feel like, you know, I don't know if you agree with this, but sometimes when, when you get interested in your creative endeavors and what you're driven to do, mm -hmm. your passion, um, when things get busy or if you have opportunities, you don't want to turn any of that down because it's this, you, you know that it's a gift and you want to just keep that momentum going and you, you get energy from that. But, and it's the um, journey of like, this is what's going to take you to the next place and then the next exactly. place and then, but there's always a next place. Yeah. It's so hard to just be in the moment. Yeah. That's like the hardest thing for me. My thing of always wanting to strive and achieve has not allowed so much of my life. Like I feel so much of my life has just flown by. And right. I don't know if you feel the same way, but totally, totally. It's um it's really sometimes uh it's such a gift. Not that cancer is a gift, but it was the one gift has been that it made me look and go oh what about right now and me yeah. right because it's so important yeah. to 
you you can when you think of family and the things that you miss that time that can put pressure on you and you feel like okay i've got to stay home or i've got to spend time with my family like that that is easier Absolutely. but when it comes to yourself it, it's almost like you you'll just keep burning yourself out until your body will literally say you have to stop you know or you have to slow exactly. down like it tells you at a certain point but yeah, you know with does. your own with your own fatigue you'll just deal with it and keep you know taking advantage of those opportunities but it's yeah. at a certain point i think you we realize oh wait we do have to pay attention to ourselves here we're human yeah and i think with me with having this show go the show must go on kind of mentality it was like well what does that where does that come from <laughs> and, yeah yeah you know maybe the show it just needs to change a little bit you know one of another blessing was that i was able to you know finish my book and write and put my focus into that, you know, because I know that, you know, as a creative person, my brain is always going, Right. you know, I'm always thinking of new things. And so why not put the energy in to creating something, Yeah. you know? And um, I think that, like I said, being married to an artist who is constantly creating, regardless of, you know, I don't know about you, but he wasn't able to go to the studio and, you know, travel during that yeah. time, especially because of what I was going through, we had to be very careful. And, and so he just started making stuff at the house, you know, and yeah. it's funny, I always say, cause my daughter loves to make things as well. And so if ever I buy a notepad in my house, I don't know if your house is the same, but it's like all of a sudden it's a drawing pad, you know, oh, it's yeah. gone. If I, yeah, yeah. you know, people are like, <laughs> why don't you make lists? So you remember everything. I'm like, what, where? Like Microsoft pad, word. Exactly. <laughs> everything I have is like, uh, oh, it's beautiful. Now it's a creation. And, but that's what I love. And uh, that's what I've just loved about this time is getting to just spend it with them. And, you know, in our own ways, we've been creating all three yeah. of us. Yeah. That's such a different pace that you have too. I thought about that, mm -hmm. you know, and seeing you, um, you know, on Broadway and then meeting you afterwards and the lines of people every single night who want to talk to you or meet you and, that yeah. engagement that you get every night, I'm sure that really speeds up the process, you know, or like that must Absolutely. be overwhelming to always be engaging like that. And like when you have an art show, you can oh, work totally. for a year or two on the work and then you have yeah. two hours in an opening to, to know, talk to people about it. I know, which sometimes is like so grueling for so many artists. Right. I don't know if everybody, right. but it's just like, you know, but for me as a partner, it's so hard to have people look at Doug's stuff and, you know, I try to in my own way, because also I'm a very nosy person. And so it's also, um, you know, I try to throw things out there, you know, maybe people don't know who I am. And I'm like, ah, what do you think of this one? Like, you know, um, because nobody... covert opening operative. <laughs> exactly. Boy, this Ooh, one's terrible. A, what do you think? See what I know, say. I know, I know. Like, um, but definitely that's, <laughs> hey, maybe that might be my new role. But, um, <laughs> but it's so weird, because it's like, it's, and then it's over, you know, and then right. the work's up there for a month or a month or two, you know, due to the pandemic. So, um, but I think that it's such an interesting thing. Like, what if you had every day people going, telling you what they think about your show and then, you know, what it means to them? Like, you guys are now on to the next, you right. know what I mean? Like, yeah, you have yeah. that show and then you're like, okay, maybe you go on vacation, maybe you you know, celebrate it for a minute, but then you're like, oh, and now I need to make this. Right. It just never stops, you know? So yeah. I think that um, the tricky part when you're a performer 
is um, to not let that stop either, to not yeah. get too comfortable. Right. It's a give and take. In, I feel like I feel yeah. like with, when you're making work, you do have that on to the next. And we've kind of perfected the art of minimal engagement with the viewer face to face. But with that. But have that, you found it different, though, in the pandemic, like during the pandemic? Uh, or no? For artists, I think it's pretty similar in a way. <laughs> <laughs> we could just go to our cave anyway. You know what Got I mean? It. And just know, working on what we're working on. I don't and how then, you do it like I could never do that because I, I mean writing has been such a a gift but it's also like I'm still at my house and people are downstairs yeah. like I know I'm not alone like you guys go to these places where you're just completely alone and I don't know I, I think as I get older I'm more comfortable being alone yeah. but um I'm still somebody who's like what are you guys doing like what's happening and, <laughs> you know I don't yeah. want to miss out ever when you're the right. third kid I, I mean I don't know where you lie in line but when you're Second. the third you're always kind of just like people just kind of forget you're there you know yeah. sometimes and so you're just always like wait for me and right, um right. so I'm definitely <laughs> that kid <laughs> yeah yeah no I, th I think you have to as an artist you have to be okay with yourself and downtime yeah. you know and right. And I've I've kind of like lived both sides of that because you know when I used to play music out and perform, right? You I I there's two totally different energies to sharing that creative work and the feeding off the crowd is such a beautiful thing. Like it's there's nothing like it. And totally. then the immediacy of that connection you'll mm -hmm. never get that in art unless you're right. like doing performance work, I guess. So, um, right. but they have their ups and downs, both of them, you know, it's just a mm -hmm. different, I think the hardest thing about the studio thing by yourself is you are the CEO, the boss, you have to provide your own energy. No one, right. there's no coaches in the crowd. Like, can you imagine if you, you turn around from it. your painting and there were like 10, <laughs> 10 people in your studio being like, yeah, yeah, that was a good mark. Keep going. People. <laughs> right. <laughs> Never. Oh gosh. I just admire it so much. You know, I, I think that, I don't know. I admire it and I'm always like in awe, but then I'm always like, how, I'm always just, how, how do you do it? You know, and then <laughs> you come out with these things that are just so beautiful. They yeah, but that's, so but anyone, yeah, anyone can learn how to make a picture. You've got the voice where that's where people say how. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> and then seeing like little kids like lined up afterwards who want to meet you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's got to be so great and like my other it life is, outside of this is i coach kids playing soccer and i okay. you know and when you do that when you have that connection with kids and you yeah. you know there's nothing like it i to oh, me that absolutely. is like the pinnacle you know absolutely i think that's why i started the fearless squad you know on yeah. uh, social media because i had you know when i first started in um in my career i had people that would write me letters at the theater um, remember those, like people would write you letters and, oh, yeah, come back, and it's all very, <laughs> yeah, slow and easy. And now people can connect with you immediately. And I always keep my DMS open because I just feel like whatever, I, like right. I said, I'm nosy. I want to know what's going on. And so <laughs> people would write to me and young people would write to me and tell me how they felt so alone or they felt like they didn't belong or they were being bullied or however they felt. And so I wanted them to feel like they could belong. And if they didn't have a squad, they could be part of mine and we would be the fearless squad. And, and you would have to just follow the squad rules, which is about, you know, um, empowerment and anybody could be a member. And I never expected it to, you know, blow up as it did, but it did. And it, 
again, opened up this new journey for me of, you know, um, empowerment, being somebody who could listen and really listen to, to other people. You know, I've had young people that have contacted me that have gone through so many different things like cutting themselves and, um, you know, cancer, their parents getting cancer, like different, different things. And, and I feel so lucky that they've trusted me in, in this way. And I never knew creating it online, um, that I would be the one that needed it the most at a certain time in my life. And, and they were, you know, they were there for me. And, uh, when I, I came out publicly to say that I had cancer, it was like, all of a sudden I knew I wasn't alone, Right. you know? Yeah. And, um, I hope as I go along that it just even becomes a bigger part of my life because I just, I love it. I love working with young people. I love, um, the connection, the immediate connection. Cause you know, you have to think about that when you're a performer and you're in a pandemic <laughs> and you yeah. can't perform, right. you know, you can perform online, um, but it's different and you have to think about, well, why do you do it? What is it that you love the most and how do you do it this way? And really for me, it's been about connecting. I love connecting with people. I love this kind of thing. You know, I love talking and and meeting new people and learning new things. And, and so I just want to do it more. And so I think this next journey, I'm looking forward to, uh, to that. Yeah. I think it's in place. It's funny because people will describe it as like charity or community work or things like that, but it's really you know, self-serving like, it makes you feel good yeah, inside too, you absolutely. know, it, it's life. Yeah. It, um, it makes you realize sometimes when you do feel alone and it's all about you, um, that it's not, Yeah. you know, and sometimes in those moments when you can feel, you know, anxious and those moments in my twenties where I was like, Oh, I hope this show makes it. And I hope this happens. And I, I hope this, like, I wish I did have somebody there that said, well, what's going on in your community? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What's happening with this (laughs) person? And, and it doesn't mean that your concerns aren't valid. It just means that it's a bigger picture. Life is a bigger picture. And, and somehow it becoming a bigger picture serves you your creative process and you as a person. So um, I hope that I allow that to happen in my own way on my own social platforms. Yeah, totally. I think everyone's got to grow into that. It's weird when you find like a 12 year old who has that like vision, you know, where they're just like, they're like, oh, you know, they think past them because you really, in a lot of ways, you have to find out a lot about yourself before you can give back to the world totally. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. When you have to sort of go through your story and then then you can start to relate. Like life experience is really, you know, part of that communication, I think. I don't know about you, but I feel like young people today are so much more aware than I ever was. Yeah. You know, um, well, the internet because too. they have to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, the they internet too, of, but their, environment their and um, oh, it just started snowing outside. environment and uh you know their community maribel is just i I don't know she is so aware you know of things and she'll tell me about you know animals she loves animals and different animals that she loves and she'll go well you know there's only twenty thousand of them left in the world oh boy and i'll just say oh okay (laughs) well let's talk about that and you know um just even talking about john lennon and why he died and why that happened it's like you know um 
and gun control and having hearing her talk about having to do yellow drills at school. I mean, it's heartbreaking. Right. You know, yeah. through the Fearless Squad, I've become friends with um, Nelba Marquez Green, whose yeah. daughter was killed during um, Sandy Hook, mm-hmm. the Sandy Hook shooting. And um, that's the anniversary is coming up next week. And and thinking about that, how that happened and, and not a lot has been done to yeah. um, to make sure that that doesn't happen, you know, um, our kids are going to be the ones to to help us, I guess, make a difference because they're the right. constant reminder that yeah. we still have a lot of work to do. Completely. Yeah. And, and I think that's, I don't know if you feel the same way and like dealing what we've been dealing with the last four years, but I feel like that is the great hope is that, you know, kids just that sort of openness and, and being more aware can only hopefully provide for a better you know, social dynamic and, and community in, Absolutely. in the world, you know, so mm-hmm. that's Absolutely. the hope. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so can I ask you a couple music questions before we, yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, growing up and, and thinking about those big songs and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what you were exposed to, and it seems like you connected so directly to that kind of music and it's mm-hmm. really sustained through, um, but I'm interested in how you feel about, you know, or like what you're, um, experiences with like instrumental music and, you know, and are you, are you super diverse in the music that you listen to, or do you kind of go into one, one area, you know, one genre? I think, um, I think my go-to has always been, um, soul music. That's a thing that I, I, you know, connect with, uh, yeah. artists that are doing things that, um, I guess move the soul, right? Uh, in a certain rhythm. So I, I think I connect with that. I think I'm much more open to listening to certain things um, that are surrounding me. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily gravitate towards that, although I listen to a lot of jazz, which I love, and I, I find it so similar to um to the creative process. I mean, it is a creative process, but in the moment. Um, And I find that, you know, having this kind of idea that you're starting out with when you first uh, start playing a song and then it transforms into something in the moment that you never imagined. I think that's what I love about it. The spontaneity and, uh, you know, that just... I find it so inspiring the same way that I, I find painting inspiring when I look at a painting Yeah. because I, I imagine what the artist was thinking and a lot of times, and did they mean to do that? Is it super calculated or is it like a, a, a song like a jazz musician where it took a totally different turn and became something totally unexpected? Like I love, that's the reason I, I love that kind of music. I think, um, my husband is much more into instrumental music and constantly pushes me to listen to a lot more than I would probably listen to. I get very sometimes comfortable in what I know and what I love, but, um, but I'm very open to to anything, to listen to anything. I just imagine like having a record player there, and then I, mm-hmm. you you come into the room and there's two records and one is mm-hmm. the the greatest hits of the Boswell sisters, and the other is Miles Davis's kind of blue. Yes. What do you put on first? Mm, Miles Davis. Okay. 
Because the soul, right? Yeah. Because the Boswell sisters are great, but right. there might be a little less soul in those songs, I would imagine. Maybe. I think that because it allows me, um, I mean, Miles Davis is just uh, uh, incredible, but I, I think that it allows me to escape a little bit more Yeah. from where I am and it takes me on a journey. So I think that sometimes when I'm putting on a record, that's where I want to go. I love that because if you look at it on surface, the Boswell system, like that kind of narrative, sort of poppier, you know, it's, it's more mm -hmm. of a, like storytelling music, but, right. but the instrumental tells a story too. It's just in sonics, you know, but the soul is there. So it's, it's yeah. that sort of um, maybe undefined story. Right. No, it's like listening to Stevie Wonder, like songs in the key of life is one of my favorite albums. Um, I think because it just goes so many places Yeah, and it's always unexpected, even though I know the songs now, right it's one of those albums that just takes me away and i yeah. just i love that you know i grew up my dad was uh when he was in the army they all listened to motown so when he came back our in our house it was all almost all motown i mean there was some rock and roll and mm -hmm. stuff too but right and um i always remember marvin gay being on and that uh what's going on record was so soulful i didn't know it at the time but i felt it you know what i mean it's just absolutely and to this, I don't listen to Marvin Gaye that much. I mean, I do once in a while because mm -hmm. almost I feel like it's almost so strong that I can't just put it on. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but I think sense. that's like the core of what, you know, I'm guessing is is what you're interested in. But you, did you like growing up, did you listen to a lot of different music from other genres? I mean, were you listening to like salsa or merengue or or Eastern European? Like or, or, I was like, and I, I listened um, and that was mostly with my dad, like driving in the car. Mm -hmm. um, he would put the window down and put his arm out the window and and listen to, gosh, a lot of. Uh, oh, gosh, a lot of different music, um, a lot of country my dad yeah. listened to. And um, I forget what this who sang there's a stranger in my house i just remember um <laughs> i don't know all, who that is whether it's like boleros or or anything it's it's all so like i said so similar because it's all storytelling whether it's in english or in spanish you know anything yeah. that is um i would listen to anything that felt like somebody was just there was they were they were singing right from the gut yeah you know and um so i remember that playing more in my in my dad's car rather than more I mean we listen to Gloria Stefan and and things like that but more um I don't know Luis Miguel yeah. things like people like that my father loved and still does yeah the rhythm's gonna get you now do you <laughs> do you because your your paintbrush is your voice mm -hmm. now that we're in the pandemic I mean are you uh, in all honesty, are you singing less every day? Um, or do you just walk around the house and have at it? House, I, I sing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Um, but it's it's different because I live in a house with um, a nine-year-old who also loves to sing. Yeah. And some of her songs, she doesn't want me to sing. Right. Well, I you would know, imagine. She, she just wants to hear the who the singer is. And so, you know, I have to be... 
I have to be respectful and I, you know, I grew up like that. So I know my limits Yeah. and, um, but I, I love to sing and I, and I'm very aware that if I don't sing and I don't warm up every day, if I don't do those things, um, that the muscle, because the voice is a muscle and yeah. it weakens and I'm not going to have the same kind of uh, breath support, vocal support that I'm going to need when we go back. So right. I won't always want to be, I always want to be ready, you know? Well, long-winded podcast, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> are you still I cool? I am a talker, or, or, or I told she, you. Is she, no, no, it's me that's long. Is, am is I still she... cool? Absolutely not. Okay. No, I'm not cool at all. I'm cool in the way, like, do you know this person? And I'll oh, say Oh, the benefits yes. package, right? Yes, yeah, I'm yeah, good yeah. with that. Um, and then if I don't know them, it's like, oh, well, you know, I, I'm... I'm only so cool. Um, Doug actually was the one who connected somehow with Joan Jett's like personal assistant. And, um, you know, Maribel was Joan Jett, not this Halloween, but the last Halloween, um, just because that's who she wanted to be. And so yeah. we, he was able to send the picture to her directly. And uh, she ended up sending like a package for Maribel of like an album and a book oh, and nice. all this kind of stuff. So he's really like, Dad a points. Very, very cool one. And now her thing is the Beastie Boys. So um, we're waiting for that. We're waiting for that. Oh, that connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we listen to, you know, Mike D's podcast. So hopefully one day that'll, um, <laughs> that'll show up. But um, but we'll see, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely the, the cooler one, I would right. say. I, I think that I become cooler when I know certain things you know yeah. uh recently she watched little shop of horrors and you know the fact that i knew the dentist song was like really cool for her like she's, uh, okay how do you know that you know and i was like well this is you know this was like a huge movie for me when growing up you know and she was just like oh like i could tell that she was yeah very, yeah very impressed see i think in an, i don't want to predict things but i think in the next few years around 13 or 14 it becomes not it's cool that you know the thing that i'm relating to it's like why do you know that and that's ew <laughs> which oh, is man. really it's just rough <laughs> yeah i know i know i know she's gonna go into like some i don't know actually i don't know what she's gonna go into but i know it's gonna be something where it's like mom like this is what it is and i'll be like yeah, oh yeah. she's gonna teach me a lot <laughs> uh, i just i feel like i think to myself well it's, it happens to everyone i did it yeah, to my parents. Sure. you know what i mean it's just the cycle of life <laughs> what Absolutely. you can't fight it i can try yeah, to be as cool as possible parents, like it's what we get <laughs> right right they'll come around in like you know seven or eight years or something exactly like one day they'll be like wow she was really cool like that's exactly. my that's my dream aren't we all banking on that <laughs> I, I think we are i love when my wife tells him once in a while you have really cool parents don't you get it <laughs> right that's what i say to, to doug i'm like aren't we the cool parents like yeah. what happened and he's like well actually yeah we're not, yeah, we're not, we're not <laughs> i was cool. like oh right we're not what are you gonna do <laughs> what are you gonna do man so are you like things coming up i mean everything's a question mark right like yeah, do you have any semblance of normalcy are, absolutely not i think yeah. um the things coming up are, um, I have been doing a lot of uh, virtual concerts and, and things like that. Um, I recently did my first in-person concert um, surrounded by Plexiglass, um, the musician also, and uh, that was really cool uh, for the holidays. So that'll be coming out, I sang again with the Philly Pops. 
um, with the orchestra for, for Christmas. So that'll be coming out for Christmas. Nice. And then um, my book comes out in the spring. So I'm just getting ready for that. And I'm writing my second novel at the at the moment, which is um, because my my books are a part of a series. Um, so that's coming out um, by uh, in I'm sorry, it was with Simon and Schuster, but they just got bought by Random House. So now it's coming out um, with Random House in the spring. That's and exciting. then um, my following book will be coming out that following spring. So um, so I'm preparing for that. And then I'm booking for 2022, baby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> fingers crossed a, a book signing tour, right? Isn't it? Oh, that'd be so great. You just long for like, oh, I could just travel oh, and see people. And just meet with young, yeah. you know, because my book is... Um, a young adult book uh so it's for kids from you know really good readers at eight from like eight to twelve yeah so it would be such a dream to go on a book signing tour to different schools and talk about you know my world which is yeah. this, this crazy one i'm in right. but um and just meet people all around the country i, I would just love that but also Not to travel to reedley california and um and show kids that you can go anywhere you want to go as long yeah. as you have a dream. Yeah. And and not in a plexiglass booth on that yes. book signing tour. <laughs> yes. Where we can absolutely. Like... But hey, I'll do it, you know, whatever way is safe. Yeah. Definitely. But um, but yeah, that would be great. Okay. We're well, almost there, I think. You know, I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, hopefully. Absolutely. I mean, things I mean, 2020 can end on my you know, that's fine with me. Yes. <laughs> I know, I know. Got a few days but left. There's a lot of there. lessons we've learned, right? Definitely. And, you know, failure, and, and that's how you learn, you know, not fail. I mean, you do learn through failure, but through hard times, you learn a lot about, you know, what you need, what you need to do. And, yeah. you know, there's a good, the good comes out of it, but it's sure hard dealing with that in the moment, you know. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's uh, walking through the valley is not easy, but we all got to do it at some point in our lives, yeah, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, love talking to you. Total you inspiration. Too. Thanks for taking Aww, all the time. You too. This is awesome. Thank and, you. And uh, say hi to your family for me. Will do. And I'm okay. glad we finally did this. Right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks.